feel as though we've all had an early Christmas present this morning. So how is everyone doing? Have you survived the spending season of this past week? You survived Black Friday? And how about Small Business Saturday or Cyber Monday? Or what about the new Give Back Tuesday? It's the first year for this strategy by nonprofits to cash in on the spirit of the season. Let me ask you something. Do you ever tire of being pressured to part with your money? What about this? Have you ever been invited to visit a resort in some exotic location where everything is furnished free of charge? All you have to do is agree to tour the place and listen to a brief sales presentation. Oh yeah, we've, we've been there, haven't we? I remember getting a bargain basement price on our first cruise several years ago. We only had to agree to hear their pitch about a vacation club in the Miami, Florida area. The salespeople kept us and one other couple for three hours. And I seriously did not think that they were going to give us the voucher that we had to have to board the ship before it sailed, unless we bought. We didn't buy. But you talk about pressure. Wow. So, do you know what the fastest growing religion in the world today is? It is not Islam, fortunately. It is not Christianity, unfortunately. The symbol of this rising faith is not a crescent, it is not the cross, but the dollar sign. Radical consumerism, and it promises power, it promises pleasure, it promises prominence. And I'm afraid that some American Christians have fused this devotion to money with their faith. As one pastor writes, how strange and sad it is that debt and consumerism reach their pinnacle on the morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the Savior who came to liberate us from these things. Have you ever thought about this? Except for the wise men from the East, all the other characters in the Christmas story were poor. Zechariah and Elizabeth who gave birth to John the Baptist, they were poor. And Mary and Joseph were poor, and the shepherds were poor. The only real spender in the story of Christmas is God Himself, who gave the world the indescribable gift of His only Son. And I want you to look with me at one of the most insightful and beautiful verses in the entire Bible, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Well, it's been my hope and prayer that these practical messages on money management from God's Word would bless you and your family at this year's end and at this critical time for our country. So far, we've looked at two timely imperatives control spending, and resist debt. Today I want to close our series with a challenge for us to enjoy giving and receiving. 
And then at the close of the message this morning, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider a commitment that I believe could result in your unprecedented spiritual growth and unprecedented financial health. And this message on the joy of giving should be positive should be positively received by every single one of us. Because in our better moments, we all want to be generous. No one wants to be an Ebenezer Scrooge. We know that the root of the word miserable is the word miser. And we're very impressed by people who are generous when we've been on the receiving end of their generosity. And did you see the story about the policeman who made the national news last week for buying a street person a brand new pair of insulated boots? Our hearts are warmed by these kinds of acts of generosity. And there have been a lot of folks this past week who've been dreaming about winning the largest lottery prize in U.S. history. Have you ever daydreamed about playing the lottery so you could generously give away the winnings to do good and to meet needs except for a million or two dollars, you know. (laughs) That's the way we think. We fantasize about being able to give huge gifts to God-honoring causes, but we don't necessarily make the transfer to our stewardship of what we have now, which is a lot by global standards. Most folks in the world think that we've already won the lottery just by being born in the United States of America. Well, King Solomon wrote quite a bit about generosity in the book of Proverbs, and that's where we want to live again today on this topic of enjoy giving and receiving. And I think we probably ought to start with one of his best statements to sum up this theme. It's Proverbs 11.25. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Giving, generous man, receiving, will prosper. He who refreshes others, giving, will himself be refreshed. Proverbs clearly teaches that God wants His people to be generous, and if they are, He will reward them for their generosity. Thus, we can truly enjoy giving and receiving. And as I reviewed the book of Proverbs in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, I discovered, first of all, some information about the recipients of our giving. If we're to be generous, then who should be the receivers of our generosity? Well, for one, our children. Look at Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. But we need to be careful to wed that verse with this verse. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Solomon tells us it's good to leave our children's children an inheritance, but that the timing of their receiving it could be critical. And have you noticed that some children effectively receive a windfall right after they graduate from high school in the form of a fully paid college education? And that's not cheap these days. Tuition, fees, room, board, books a spending allowance, and without a doubt, there are some kids that graduate from high school and go to college with this blessing, this benefit, and they are grateful and they are responsible. But let's be realistic. Others are ungrateful and irresponsible. They have too much leisure time, 
And they get to college and dive into the party scene, and they stop going to church. They move in with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Parents, listen, do not thoughtlessly finance immorality, drunkenness, and spiritual rebellion in your children. It's not a loving thing to do to subsidize unacceptable behavior. Now, this isn't in the Bible, but it should be. You know what I mean? Personally, I, I believe young adults need to have some investment in their higher education. Now, it may be in the form of a good report. They apply themselves, and they respect priorities, and they make good grades. But on the other hand, a part-time job can teach a young person that age as much as a class, and they'll have less idle time. They'll learn the value of money, and they'll appreciate their education more. I think maybe the best time to give money to your children may be when they're just getting started in their own marriage, establishing their own home. That's when they need it the most, and that's probably when you're more capable of helping them get into a house or get set up in life. And if you wait until you die to pass on anything to your children, and you dump a big inheritance on them. They may not need it as much. They could be in their 50s and financially independent. And if they don't get anything until you die, they may be secretly hoping that you check out early so they have the extra. <laughs> but if you do, you're given while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. Your kids are going to pray that you stay healthy and you live a long life. And then it'll give you pleasure. It'll give you pleasure to see them use it well, while at the same time you still have some influence over how the money is spent. You know, we finance a family retreat for all 19 of our immediate family once a year. It's not cheap. I've told our adult children, the deal is, if your mother and I are included in the activity, we'll pay. But if you go off on your own, that's fine. But then you pay. You just cannot believe what a close-knit family we are during that week. <laughs> and I think I'm right about this, that you can actually give your child up to $13,000 per year per child without penalty while you're alive. And seriously, it may be that this is a better way to go, especially if our especially if our estate taxes are increased. But regardless, our children ought to be the recipients of some, but not all, of our generosity. Well, to whom else should we give? Not only our children, but also the needy. According to Proverbs, look at 14.21, blessed is he who is kind to the needy. Proverbs 14.31, whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And then 1917, he who is kind to the poor, look at this, lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 22, 9, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Now, friends, this is a generous church when it comes to giving to the needy. 
I don't think the Evansville Rescue Mission, the Evansville Christian Life Center, or Impact Ministries has a better church ministry friend than Crossroads. And that's you. And that's me. And hundreds of thousands of dollars and volunteer hours have been given to these missions, local missions, over the years. And I am proud in Christ of the offerings we give to places that are outside our orbit here, like Haiti. Do you remember? After the Haiti earthquake, $170,000 was distributed there from this church after that earthquake. And then after the tornado in Joplin, that F5 tornado, nearly $60,000 was given by our church to meet the needs there. And I will not very soon forget the summer, some of you remember this, you participated in it, the summer that we financed and packed and shipped over a half million meals to starving kids in a third world country. And then more recently, our affordable Christmas program. Over 1,300 gifts were purchased and are going to be here at the church and they're going to be available for parents to come and buy gifts for their children. 10 and 15 and $25 gifts for 2 and 3 and $4. That wouldn't be possible without our generosity as a church. I love what we can do as a larger Christian community in the name of Jesus for needy people. So we want to give to our children. We want to give to the needy. Finally, we want to give to the church. And your giving to Crossroads actually results in giving to the needy. My guess is that most of us would not touch New Orleans. We wouldn't touch Haiti or Japan or Joplin or New England without the faithful and generous giving of our church. And we participate in that. Our agape fund to help our needy Crossroads families. Folks, it would have a zero balance if it were not for your generosity. And I want it to be true of our church. What was said of the church in the book of Acts in chapter 4, verse 34? There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. Notice they didn't give it directly to the poor. The apostles distributed it. That takes our ego out of it. Then Jesus gets the praise. His church gets the gratitude. His kingdom grows. Giving this way also takes advantage of the combined wisdom of our church leaders to qualify worthy recipients. Some recipients that are out there appealing for our help are not worthy. They're not. And it amazes me that some Christians can be so naive. They donate their tithe to television ministries and organizations because they come across with entertaining personalities and impressive marketing campaigns and they make emotional appeals and people open up their wallets and purses without realizing the exorbitant overhead involved and the excessive salaries that some of these people take. But when you give to the local church, you can see it up close and personal. You see the results. People being one to Christ, and lives being changed, and marriages being saved, and families restored, and children and teens being discipled. And you can even take a mission trip if you want to and go and see firsthand work being done by our church in the world. And our ethic here at Crossroads for the distribution of God's money comes right out of Scripture. 
In 2 Corinthians 8, 20 and 21, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. We could say these liberal gifts. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So the recipients of our giving, our children, the needy, the church. What about the reasons for our giving? Well, we give, first of all, as an act of worship. Look at Psalm 96, 8 and 9. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Sometimes we think of worship as singing and prayer and sharing communion and Bible teaching, but, but giving an offering is perhaps the most tangible and sacrificial expression of our worship. In fact, the very first time that worship is mentioned in the Bible, it is when Abraham is going up to Mount Moriah to offer up his son Isaac. And he said to his servants, the boy and I will go and worship and come back to you. So when you bring a sacrificial gift to God and you place it in the offering, you're demonstrating Abraham-like devotion. You're committing your heart. You're giving yourself to Him. And let me suggest an exercise before you come to weekend worship. I think it would be good for you to take five minutes, sit down with a pad and pen, and before you write your check, make a list of the things in your life for which you are truly thankful, and you'll be reminded that your motive in giving is to express grateful worship to God. So we give motivated, first of all, by our desire to worship. Secondly, we give because when we give, we realign our values. The discipline of giving helps us to focus on the unseen things that matter the most in this life and in the life to come. And giving is the way we push back on worldliness, and we push back on materialism, and we push back on the love of money. Look at the content of this prayer in Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? So when we give an offering to the Lord, we literally release our grasp on this world. And in so doing, we take hold of the things of God. We also give motivated by our desire to demonstrate compassion. Now, I have to be honest with you, I, I don't really enjoy writing checks, except when I'm writing a check for some God-honoring cause, or I'm writing a check to people I care about. And I write a check every week, just like some of you do once a month, or in some cases, people write out their tithe check for the entire year. However you do it is between you and the Lord. But I have to tell you, I do it weekly, and it is a pleasure for me to write a check and to fill in Crossroads Christian Church. Whether I'm physically present in the worship service or not, I write that check every week. And it's a joy to me. It's a joy to me because I love our church. And I love the compassion that is, that is expressed through this church, both locally and globally. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions, and that would be everyone in this room, 
If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love. Here it is. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. And in truth, and the loving action he's talking about here is giving to those in need, material possessions to those in need. And remember this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. One more reason we give that needs to be mentioned is to be blessed. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. This is an agriculturally based society, and so we understand what he's saying here. And then in Proverbs eleven twenty four, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And then again, Proverbs 22, 9, we mentioned earlier, a generous man will himself be blessed. And God's blessing takes many different forms. Sometimes it is financial stability, financial prosperity. But God's blessings take a lot of different forms. Maybe He'll bless you with contentment. Maybe He'll bless you with spiritual growth, the hope of heaven, family unity, emotional stability. Look at this quote from Dr. Carl Menninger of the Mayo Clinic. Giving is a good prescription for mental health. Generous people are rarely mentally ill. Whatever you offer up to God, He will more than reward. And I have never heard anyone dispute this. And yet, many people still have never put the Lord to the test in this, even though He invites us to. I promise you this, He will not be indebted to any generous giver one final thought from Proverbs today, and that is the resolve to give. Now, while Proverbs promises blessing to the generous, it really doesn't define generosity. That's something that's left up to us to decide. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each person, person should give what he or she has decided in his or her heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I haven't done a detailed analysis of our giving as a church, but I'm pretty sure that we are above average. Our budget has grown from $80,000 a week to $125,000 a week since 2008, and you know this has been during a period of extreme economic uncertainty. But do you remember, do you remember back in 2009, we had our first tithing demonstration weekend. We just wanted to see what would happen if on one weekend, as a church family, we all rallied together in giving 10%, at least 10% of our weekly income. The offering that weekend was $240,000. That's double our weekly budget in 2012. So you see, we have a ways to go to excel. And there's a word for us about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Just as you excel in everything, 
in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Dave Ramsey said that if every Christian in America tithed, there would be no more welfare. In 90 days, there would be no more church debt. The next 90 days, the entire world would be evangelized. And he says we would be able to have prayer in schools again because the churches could buy and fund all the schools. And that'd be something. Wow. Did you hear about the plane that crashed on a desert island and the survivors were concerned that they'd never be found? They're very distraught except for one man. He's lying on the beach. He's enjoying the sand and sun. One of the other castaways asked him, aren't you worried about never being found? He said, nah, I'm a faithful tither. I know my pastor will find me. <laughs> well, it's true that, that in the Old Testament, God's standard for giving was one-tenth. It was a tithe. But in the New Testament, it says that we should give as we have been prospered. Of course, since the Old Testament, we have Jesus, we have forgiveness, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have a Christian family, Christian friends, our church, life in the United States. So using the Old Testament standard of 10% as the baseline for what's required, we give as we've been blessed. And you know, I read something that I'm going to start doing when I write my check every week. Down in the bottom left-hand corner of the check, you know where it says four, and then there's a blank? I'm going to start filling in the Lord or God's work because that's why I give. I don't give to pay electricity bills or to landscape the church property or to pay. That's not. I give for the Lord, for God's work.